Have a seat. Good morning. It's good, good to be back with you worshiping our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ today. Hey, if you're new here, if it's your first time worshiping with us, we are glad that you are here. We actually bought you something, and it isn't an ugly Christmas sweater. Um, it's a Lindsay Lindy's t-shirt and some information about our church. If you'll take the card from the back of the seat in front of you, fill it out, stop it by Next Steps, which is those two desks in the lobby. They'll hook you up with your very own Lindsay Lindy's t-shirt, some info about our church, so you can better make a decision about where God would have you worship. Um, we're, we're so thankful that you're here today. Uh, it is <clears throat> going to be difficult for you to pay attention. Um, there's probably something very shiny in front of you, uh, like a ridiculously crazy sweater. Or a pastor wearing a dumb sweater. Um, Ryan. Hoods up. There we go. So, uh, here's the deal. I threaten you. You start zoning out on me, I'm putting the hood up. Okay? And I'll preach in it the whole time. Don't, I will, Okay? All right, um, but we've been in this series uh, called Christmas Carols, and again, what we're doing is we're not studying the songs. Uh, the, so the songs that we call Christmas Carols, Christmas hymns, they're not inerrant, they're not the Word of God, right? They're songs, but they're songs that are about the inerrant Word of God. And so what we've been studying is the biblical basis, the biblical theology behind the lyrics of these great songs that we've been singing for generations. This week's song is an unsung hero. Hark the herald, angels sing. Okay, so that's where we're going to be. We're going to be looking at that hymn uh, today. Uh, the beginning of the song and kind of like the refrain that comes back over and over again through the song is uh, about these angels. Um, and if you know the story of Christ's birth, if you don't, it's in, it's in Luke 1 and 2 where we see that these angels, uh, the Bible mentions that angels came and glorified God in the fields outside of Bethlehem and they made the announcement that Christ was being, had been born uh, made it to a group of shepherds. Uh, but really, beyond the opening line and then the, being like a refrain to the song, it has nothing to do with angels. It has nothing to do with the message that the angels proclaimed. Um, what, what the song is about is actually a particular truth about Jesus that it's important that we grasp, a particular truth about Jesus that is super deep, and theologians call it the most difficult to understand thing in the Bible. So, the week before Christmas, the week of Christmas, while your pastor's wearing a dumb sweater, we're going to attempt to discuss the most difficult to understand thing in the Bible. Y'all on board? Three of you. The rest of you can leave. All right, here we go. <clears throat> All right, so the, the thing we're looking at is this. Was Jesus God? Was he man? Or was he somehow both? That's what we're going to be looking at, okay? Um, Charles Wesley Charles Wesley is the man who penned the words to Hark the Herald Angels Sing. He did it in 1739. Um, the original words to the song, to the to verse stanza two, whatever they call it, um, is this. Uh, and listen for this idea of Jesus being man, Jesus being God. Listen to this. Christ, by heaven, by highest heaven adored Christ, the everlasting Lord. Late in time behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hell the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to appear, Jesus our Emmanuel here. A little change there at the end of the way we sing it now. But do you hear the back and forth? He says that Christ 
is an offspring, but he's an offspring of a virgin, um, which is crazy. He's flesh, but he's also God, the Godhead. He's incarnate, yet he's deity. He's Jesus, which is his earthly name, yet he's also Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Just in one verse of Hark the Herald Angels Sing, you're already seeing this idea of, is Jesus God? Is he man? Is he both? And it continues on through the rest of the song. You're going to have an opportunity to sing that song during our invitation today, our, our response time. So hang on to that, all right? But the theological truth that Jesus is God and man is super important for our understanding of who Jesus is and what he accomplished for us. So this morning, I want to look at one passage. We're going to look at a whole bunch of different passages, but I want to look at one passage that honestly doesn't get a lot of playtime at Christmas. Right? Uh, Luke, Luke chapter 2 gets all the playtime. That's the one everybody reads. Matthew 1 with the wise men maybe gets a little playtime. John 1, which is where you need to turn in your Bible, gets zero playtime at Christmas because it doesn't feel Christmassy. Um, it doesn't talk about the birth of baby Jesus in a manger. It doesn't talk about angels coming and, and declaring his birth. It doesn't talk about shepherds or wise men. It doesn't talk about any of those things. But I believe it's crucial for our understanding of who Jesus was. So, John chapter 1, I'm going to read 14 verses, which is always fun, so bear with me. I'm going to read it, I'm going to pray, and then we'll come back and talk. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or the will of the Father or the will of man, uh, or, I mean the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. Verse 14, we'll wrap it up here. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Father, we thank you, um, God, that not just John 1, 1 through 14, but God, the entire Bible. Um, God, is you speaking to your creation, God, speaking to humans, revealing yourself to us through the word. And God, I pray that today, God, as we take on this God, seemingly uh, impossible to understand, maybe, uh, truth about Jesus, that, God, you would help us through the power of the Holy Spirit, God, to find rest in it, and God, to find peace in it, and God, to find hope and joy and love in it. Be with us today. God, help us to see your truth, and we ask you, as always, uh, to teach us to know you and to be with us. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So if you're unsure of how the Bible's made up, uh, if, you're, if you're new to the Bible, the first two-thirds of the Bible are what we call the Old Testament. That's on this side. The New Testament is what comes after that. Okay, The first four books of the New Testament we call Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the four accounts 
of Jesus' life and ministry. But every one of them starts off differently. Uh, Mark, which was more than likely the first one that was written, actually starts off with Jesus' ministry. It starts off with his uh, baptism. Uh, so Jesus is already a full-grown man. He wasn't a baby. He was a full-grown man who is being baptized and beginning his ministry. Matthew and Luke begin in a similar way with Jesus' birth. And that's where we get those, these Christmassy passages that we read or that we buy, you know, 50% off at Hobby Lobby pictures and stuff that have these verses on them, right? Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. All right. John, however, begins long before Jesus is baptized, long before Jesus is born in Bethlehem. John's not interested as much in making a case that Jesus is the earthly Messiah. He's wanting us to show us that Jesus is fully God. So John does not refer, if you, if, as I read John 1, 1 through 14, hopefully you noticed Jesus' name wasn't mentioned. If you didn't, you were distracted because Jesus' name was not mentioned in the first 14 verses. John uses a character that he calls the Word. The Word. Now, John doesn't just come out and say, hey, when I say the Word, I'm talking about Jesus. Y'all catch that. But what we do see is that all through this first chapter, it is becomes clear that John is pointing, he's saying that the Word is Jesus. He's equating these two. So, John is speaking poetically here. It's, clear that through the, it's clearly through the rest of the chapter that he's talking about Jesus. And so let's look, uh, point number one is this. Jesus is fully God. That's what we see at the very beginning. The first three verses. Um, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him. And apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. There's a lot in those first three verses. A whole lot in there. John's packing it in. But I want to show you just three things. I'm going to show you three things on the first two points. So if you're a note taker and you love little bullet points and you love being organized and you love it, praise God. Today, you, it's all about you, baby. This is for you. If you're like, Heath, just talk. Just ignore me, okay? Don't pay attention to the slides. But here's point, point A under point one. Jesus shares the Father's eternal existence. John tells us, that just like the Father, the Word, who we know is Jesus, is eternal. He says he has always existed. He said, in the beginning. John starts off by saying, in the beginning. That should, that should resonate. If you're, if, you're a, if you're a student of the Bible, you know that that's how it began back on Genesis 1-1. In the beginning. We're saying, John is making this connection back to Genesis 1. That in the beginning, from the very beginning, the Son, the Word, Jesus has been there. Now, that can be hard for us to think about. See, I've grown up in church my whole life, and so I've studied the Bible a whole lot. I've heard sermons. I've heard lessons. I've been in Sunday school. I've been on all this stuff, and I've learned that my life as a believer in Christ will forever exist into the future. If you read the Bible, that's what you realize, is that we will forever be in the presence of God forever this way on the timeline. Okay? I've begun to learn to grasp that as a Christian. However, we also have to point our hand this way back into the past and say that Jesus is not only going to forever exist, he has always forever existed. And that's where my, that's where I get lost. Like, that's hard for me to think about, that there's never been a time in which Jesus didn't exist as the Son of God. Jesus is not the, the Son of God, the Word of God is not only future forever, but he's also past forever. Jesus is sharing this, this eternal existence. Um, he also shares the Father's role as creator. 
Uh, John says that all of creation came into existence. All things were created through him, the word, Jesus. This means that Jesus, as the son of God, was not just some lazy teenager sitting on the couch while God did all the work. I really thought like I'd get an amen or something from somebody and a head slap to the kid beside you. All right, y'all have awesome teenagers then. Great. But Jesus was actually an integral part of creation. The things that we see, every single piece of creation came about through the word of God, the son of God, through Jesus. And then he also shares the father's very nature. So John is doing this very poetic thing, right? Like, I mean, as you read it, he's repeating a lot of words. He's, he, he's, he's speaking in ways that are really, really cool. But then, like at the end of verse 1, he just gets real blunt, and I love it. Uh, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Those two words change everything for us, okay? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God. We're still there. When John says the Word was God, those two words change everything that we know about Jesus. John says that the Word, speaking of Jesus, was God. He didn't just exist as a cool eternal being who got to get his hands dirty in creation. He was of the same essence and nature as God the Father. Now, what's interesting is that John was one of the last New Testament books written. Okay? It was written like around 90 to 100 A.D., which means that John's writing did not influence anybody else's writing. Okay? So nobody, when none of the other New Testament authors, when they sat down to write, had John's writing there beside him. However, you go back like three decades to a guy named Paul who's writing to a, uh, to a group, a group of Colossians who are meeting, and this is what he said. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He's also the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. Listen to this part. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. What do we see in this? We see the exact same three things I just shared with you. The Son is eternal, verses 17 and 18. The Son is creator, verses 16 and 17. The Son is the same nature of God, verses 15 and 19. Paul and John are agreeing on this truth. Jesus was 100% fully God. And the world around us has trouble with that. Okay, The world around us is okay with saying this, that Jesus is fully man. But they're not okay with saying that Jesus is some sort of deity. He was a man. He cannot be God and man. But we, this is what the Bible teaches us. And so I feel like for those outside the church, it's harder to think of Jesus as fully God. But I'm going to be honest with you. I think point number two, which I bet you can guess what it is, is oftentimes harder for those of us in the church. Jesus is fully man. We see in the last verse that I read to you, verse 14 from John, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory. The glory is the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The eternal being called the Son or the Word takes on the same humanity that you and I are experiencing. If you want to get all nerdy, 
In the Greek Old Testament, the word for dwelt is the word tabernacle. And here in the New Testament, John is using the same word that he would have read in the Old Testament to refer to the tabernacle, which was the presence of God among the Israelites. And now instead of the spirit, the, the person of God being hidden behind a tabernacle, hidden behind curtains, now we have the person of God in flesh, tabernacling among us, dwelling among us. This word, this word, this son, this Jesus has always existed in the same nature and form of God. He created all things, but then he became flesh. He was born as a baby in church. His, his parents gave him the name Jesus, which, of course, because angels told him to. But there's nothing unique about that name. And I know for us, like we hear the name Jesus, we're like, oh, such a reverent, holy name. No, it was like it was normal. Like there was nothing. People didn't hear Jesus and go, oh, his name is what? Like he just there's another Jesus in the New Testament. That's how common it is. I think sometimes, and again, I've said this already, but I think sometimes for us inside the church, the humanity of Jesus is the hardest for me to grasp. I'm okay with Jesus being God, and, and I get help, right? I got help from Leonardo da Vinci or all these guys who paint. If you're a painter in here, I love you. Um, but people do weird things in paintings, don't they? Don't they do weird things in paintings? Not in Cassie's painting. But these painters from old, they would paint pictures of Jesus and he would have like a halo around his head. Y'all, do you really think anybody's doubting whether he was God if he had a halo around his head? He always has this aura around him. And he, walk, like, and he always has this regal look about him. Like he's a politician from the, I don't know, before politics now, you know, <laughs> where they wore top hats and they walked around real creepy, right? Like, that's what we picture Jesus as. We see Jesus as this, and that wasn't a political statement. Y'all, don't do that. Good night. I hate talking about that. All right, here we go. But I think because we've got these paintings, we've got these ideas of Jesus, like, just with this halo around his head, and, and another reason, but I think it's not just that. It's another reason that it's oftentimes the way we speak about Jesus' life. I, my youth pastor early on in my life would say this, Jesus was God with skin on. You may have heard that before. If you were here two weeks ago, you heard me say it. Jesus is God with skin on. And that really helps, I believe it's true, it helps us see that Jesus' flesh did not affect his godness at all. Right? He was fully God with skin on. But what it hurts is our understanding of Jesus' humanity. It almost has this idea that Jesus is, is, uh, was just... God with this thin layer of humanity around him. He just looked human. He wasn't really human, though. Kind of like, so I butchered this in the first service. So I didn't study this. This was a this morning, last edition to my sermon, written in pen. I talked about the movie Independence Day with Will Smith. But then I realized I was thinking of Men in Black. <laughs> also starring Will Smith. Anyway, so I got corrected on that by the Joneses. Shout out to them um but i got peggy and don corrected me that it's men in black but you remember men in black there's these aliens who come in and take over these human bodies but they they look like aliens you know what i mean y'all remember the guy the guy that's looking for sugar and he's out in the middle of nowhere and like they look they don't look like real humans it's it's an alien inside of a human body that doesn't he's not doing a good job of fitting in 
And oftentimes that's the idea we have of Jesus, that it's this God who just filled the body and everybody would go, something weird with this guy. Like he, he does, He's not a real human. That is not the, the thing that we see in Scripture. Jesus did not have a halo. He did not have some weird aura around him. He was, he had very human-like interactions. He had feelings. He was fully human, so much so that when he begins to teach and begins to c- claim for himself some sort of deity, the people around him go, huh, you're the dude that grew up down the street from me. Like working with your dad as a carpenter. What are you talking about? You're the son of God. That's what we see. Jesus was clearly human. And here we are, 2,000 years removed, and we struggle with this. But since I gave you three on fully God, let's go three on fully human. Because that would just be uneven for you note takers. Here we go. Uh, Point number A is this. Jesus shares our physical development. I don't know if you've ever, maybe this is even dumb to mention. But for some reason, the idea that Jesus, this is Luke 2.40, the boy grew up and became strong. Like Jesus grew up. Like he was a normal kid. Can you imagine? Like Jesus didn't go from eight, which is the last story we get, to like 30. Like he went through the weird, awkward phase too. And I won't point out ages because some of you in the room may be in that awkward stage. But we all went through it too. Even Jesus did. But he would, have, he, he would have grown up just like every little boy in our kids' building. He would have had growth spurts where Mary thought he was going to eat her out of house and home. And you're just praying that there's something on the back end that helped this kid grow because he's eating everything. Because what happens on the end of that growth spurt, parents? Then they don't eat anything for a while. Like they just, but they don't die, so it's good. <laughs> they, don't, they don't eat it. But he would have had energy. He would have enjoyed playing. Y'all, he was a human boy, not some little eight-year-old priest with his hands folded, just walking around like he, like he was a normal kid. But he also shares our emotions. We see that in the gospel accounts. Jesus experiences a lot of the same emotion that you and I experience in our lives. He felt joy and excitement when he was with his friends. He felt anger when he saw people taken advantage of. He felt sadness when those he loved were grieving. He felt frustrated when people didn't understand his message or his ministry. He felt betrayed when one of his own friends led those who wanted him dead right to him. And in my heart and mind, I view Jesus as having this super holy expression from some Leonardo da Vinci painting when what we see in the scriptures is a real man struggling with the same emotions that you and I experience. His emotions are in the text. But not only does he share those two things, he shares our physical needs. Jesus' body needed the same things ours do. Like the right mixture of oxygen, nitrogen, and other stuff. Hydrogen, other stuff, I don't know. Like he needed air. He needed, right from the beginning of his earthly ministry, it says, he became hungry. Like, Jesus got hungry. He stormed the refrigerator, just like I do at 2 o'clock in the morning. He gets hungry when he doesn't eat. He needs rest when he gets run down. He bleeds when you cut him, and he dies when you crucify him. Jesus, his body needs the same thing that ours do. Jesus was fully God, yes. Yes, church. But he was also fully man. John and the rest of the scripture together have told us these two things. 
And I want to do some math because math was my thing. And it still kind of is, except algebra, because apparently I forgot that. Golly. I, so, let me, so I was a youth pastor and had a teenager who was just almost struggling on a spiritual level with math. And I said, hey, sit down right here. Let me help you out. I mean, she was just, her parents were confused. And she flipped that book around, y'all. I mean, I had like a 99 average in, in algebra. I mean, it was like, and she flipped it around. I don't have a clue what it was. There were letters, and I remember letters being in math problems, but I didn't remember there being so many. Anyway, that is not in my notes, as you can guess. But here's some math for you. 100% God plus 100% human equals 200%. Thank you for playing. Yes. So, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> How can God be fully man and fully God? I'm going to pick on some of you coaches. I can remember playing ball and running at the end of practice. Jared, maybe you do this. I can remember running wind sprints and my coach yelling, give me 110%. Now, as a smart aleck who was good at math, I wanted to stop and say, coach, you stink at math and numbers. Like, that's not a thing. There is no 100. I can't give you 100. Because then they would follow it up, Jared, by saying, give me all you got. Well, which one do you want? Do you want 100% or do you want some mythical 110%? And this is, this is what I struggled with. So to press, I said that to press into the question further. How can Jesus be both man and God? It's a biblical truth that, again, many scholars are a lot smarter than me consider, say, that is the most difficult to understand idea in the whole Bible. And what would be a really difficult to understand thing in the Bible if it didn't have a really difficult to say name? Right? I mean, if you're going to, like, put a name on a confusing thing, why not put a confusing name on it, too? So, but I want you to know this. I'm, I'm going to tell you the word, um, and you're going to impress your friends later, but um, I, th I, I want you to understand it because if you ever get into reading articles or books or listening to podcasts where you're trying to understand the Bible better and you're, you're listening to people that are really, really smart, they might throw this term in. I want you to know. So here it is. Point number three is this. Hypostatic union. Fancy, isn't it? Spent thousands of dollars on seminary. Took me six years to do it, and this is what I walked away with. One word. Hypostatic union. That's all I learned. Didn't even learn that. <laughs> Hypostatic. I already knew union. All right, here we go. Uh, it's a fancy word. Uh, I can tell you're impressed. But this is not an idea that man has created, okay? This is not an idea. This is an idea that, that the Bible tells us about. It's simply a term that we've labeled. It's a term where, where, where theologians are trying to define the nature of our indescribable Savior. Do you see how hard that is? We're trying to describe someone who is indescribable. We're trying to make sense of God and man coming together in the person of Jesus Christ. And so it's difficult to understand, but the Bible reaffirms this truth over and over again. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, Paul says, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even to death on the cross. Notice what he said. He has a quality with God, but instead of coming to earth as God just 
oozing glory, oozing power, and like just taking over. He comes as a human. He comes as a servant. He comes as someone just like me and you, a normal guy with no real power or glory. Colossians 2.9 says, For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. Do you see it coming together? The fullness of God's nature, everything that makes God God, dwelt bodily in Jesus. Jesus is fully God and fully man. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors through prophets. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature. Church, God's word affirms over and over again that though we cannot necessarily understand it, Jesus is fully God and fully man. Um, I read a, a work of a Presbyterian pastor this week, J.M. Boyce. Um, I saw it was worded really, really well. I wanted to read it to you. Uh, before his incarnation, Jesus Christ existed with God and was identical with God both inwardly and outwardly. He shared to the full the divine nature, and he was clothed with the splendor that had always surrounded God's person. During the incarnation, the birth, Jesus laid aside the outward glory which would have made it impossible for human beings to approach him, and took the form of a servant. What remained was God's glory in the inward sense. For even in the flesh, Jesus Christ was God and retained all of the divine nature. I read one more thing this week that really, again, I know we're dealing with something that we can't fully understand and... Um, if, if we could understand it, wouldn't that make us higher than Jesus? I've been married to my wife for, I don't know why I'm looking up there like they're going to tell me up there. What is it? Uh, 12 years? I've been married to my wife for 12 years. And Lord willing, we'll be married a lot of years. If I die an old man having been married to her that entire time, well, I know everything there is to know about her. Well, I understand her down to a molecular level. You can shake your head no. How then do you and I want to wrestle with the idea of the hypostatic union and get frustrated when we don't understand it fully? It's a good thing, church, that Jesus' nature of man and God blows our minds. And I want to help you with one more thing because I... There's a big, really, really thick theology book that I paid like $90 for and studied it, so I keep it because it was expensive. <laughs> but I actually read it this week, and it, it was talking about this idea, this hypostatic union. And, and what it helped me see is that even the way in which Jesus was born on earth affirms this truth. So if you're not familiar with the, the story of Jesus' birth, here's how it goes. Um, uh, Mary's cousin, uh, Elizabeth, has just been told by an angel that she's pregnant, um, pretty miraculously because she was older, and uh, she's going to give birth to a man named John, uh, a boy named John, and he's going to become John the baptizer later on that we talk about in the scriptures. However, six months later, get to verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. 
And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what in the world he was getting started telling her. What kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, How can this be, since I have not been with a man? The angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, here's what I know. I know if you've been in church a long time, I just let, read that last sentence and you didn't even think about it. But like, if this is your first time in church, you're like uh, rolling your eyes right now. Did y'all hear what the Bible just said? I'm going to read it to you again. Last two sentences. Mary asked the angel, how can this be? I have not been with a man. Listen to this. The angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and he will be called the Son of God. Y'all, this is a big deal. <laughs> the way in which Jesus came into the earth is absolutely nuts. It's crazy. This is a mind-blown moment. God tells this probably teenage girl named Mary that she's going to bear a son, not by her fiancé, because that would have been impossible for them, but this baby would be conceived solely by the work of the Holy Spirit. Like, if that hasn't blown your mind in a while, let it. Have you thought about how the virgin birth is the perfect culmination of Jesus' two natures? What better way to bring the Savior in the, of the world, in, Savior into the world, who is fully God and fully man? Uh, there's a really long, difficult to read quote in that really thick book that I paid ninety dollars for, um, and I had to literally put it in my own words to make sense of it for myself. So I want to read it to you, though. The virgin birth made possible the uniting of full deity and full humanity in one person. He gives two examples here. God could have created a body in heaven for the Son and sent him to the earth like a Superman or something. Right? No Superman fans. Right? But it would be hard to think of Jesus as human. Or God could have allowed Jesus to be born from two earthly parents and at some point miraculously united a fully divine nature to his earthly one. Be more like the Flash. But it would have been easy to doubt his deity because he began the same way all humans do. No, Jesus was born of a virgin so that all men might know that he was a unique person, fully God and fully man. Church, Jesus was perfectly and fully God and man. And you and I may not be able to put our finger on exactly how, how it is true, but we can be confident that it is. And it's this very idea about Christ that sets us apart from other religions and honestly gives Christianity its real power. I read again this week, the conception of a God who never became man will not satisfy the human soul like the God who did. Church, that's what sets us apart. Every other religion on the earth 
if they claim that there is a God is a God who did not come in the way that ours did. The, the satisfaction of the human soul comes because God came to the earth and took on flesh just like me and you. Many portray gods who live intentionally distant from humans, but our God chose to make himself known by coming to earth as a baby named Jesus. And aren't you glad he grew up? Aren't you glad he grew up? He lived the perfect life. And then he died as a sacrifice for our sins. And now the Bible tells us that he exists as a mediator between God and mankind. He's between God and man. His full natures are now, he, it gives him the right to stand between God and us, to speak for us. He's a go-between. He's the one who speaks on our behalf. And if you have trusted in Jesus, you've been redeemed by his blood, all of your sins have been covered. That means that when you sin, Jesus' words on your behalf are, he's good. She's good with me. Because I've already paid their way. Like your sins have already been atoned for. Like me and Kenny at a sandwich shop. Like I just make him pay. Like I go up, if you order first and then you just step to the side. Like he doesn't know. And then he has to pay. I forgot my wallet. Maybe it's not a perfect analogy, but it is. You don't have the money to pay for your sins. You cannot. You go get ten jobs, you don't have the money to pay for that. You don't have what it takes to atone for your own sins. But Jesus does. He's the gracious mediator who stands between us and God. But not only is he gracious, church, he's compassionate. And the fact that he exists as God and man makes him more compassionate. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is a, an earthly mediator between God and man. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. You see, because Jesus was a fleshly human, he went through some of the same kinds of things that we do. Are you going through major temptations? You facing just awful temptations in your life, guess what? So did he. And he knows what you're going through. You're going through, uh, you're grieving right now. Guess what? Jesus knows what it feels like to grieve. Are you experiencing financial problems right now? Jesus was a homeless traveling teacher. Like That was part of the thing. He said, you want to follow me? Get ready because I don't know where we're sleeping tonight. Like, that's tough. Jesus knows what you're going through. Do you have broken relationships, family drama? Do you feel ridiculed or betrayed? Do you struggle to find someone that you can trust? Listen to me, church. Jesus knows what you're going through, not because he's fully God, but because he's fully man. He can do something about it because he's fully God. If Jesus stood as our mediator as God only, yes, he could step into our troubles. Yes, he could fix our problems. But because Jesus is also fully man, he does it with a heart full of compassion. And what we know is that because Jesus Christ was fully man and fully God and he died on the cross for our sins, praise God, we can not only experience his, his peace in our troubles, but we can actually overcome. John sixteen thirty three, one of my favorite verses to send to folks who are struggling. Because it's, it's a depressing verse at the beginning. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. 
you will have suffering in this world. And man, if that period just ended right there, that'd be tough, wouldn't it? You will have suffering in this world and then just move on like to the next teaching point. But Jesus doesn't say that. He says, you will have suffering in this world, but be courageous. I have, I have conquered the world. Church, Jesus, the God-man, has defeated all that we will face in this life. Sin, death, hell, grieving, struggling, all of these things Christ offers freedom from. As I was studying the last few weeks, um, I discovered um, something that if you knew this, then you are, man, you're a hymn nut. Um, I didn't, I didn't know this. Uh, when, when Charles Wesley uh, penned Hark the Herald Angels Sing, it contained two verses that are not in our modern versions, which is pretty common among hymns because they get harder to sing as we get further away from that ancient English language or German as it's translated or whatever. Sometimes they just get left aside. But like, and if you're not a the thou King James kind of person, like this is going to drive you crazy. But listen to this. Y'all, I'm telling you, this is so good. These are the two lost verses of Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Charles pins this. Come, desire of nations. Come, fix in us thy humble home. Rise, the woman's conquering sea. Bruise in us the serpent's head. Now display thy saving power. Ruin nature, now restore. Now in mystic union join. Thine to ours and ours to thine. The other verse, Adam's likeness, Lord, efface. Stamp thy image in its place. Second Adam from above, reinstate us in thy love. Let us thee, though lost, regain. Thee, the life, the inner man. O oh, to all thyself impart, formed in each believing heart. Now, I'm going to tell you, I don't know why it got cut. That's good. <laughs> That's good. We're going back to Genesis 3.15. We're crushing the serpent's head. Like we're stamping the image of Christ and over the likeness of Adam. Like this is good. But it's hard to sing. That's why I read it. <laughs> but this is my prayer, I think. To, as, I, as I was studying this week, I was like, God, what are we supposed to do with this? Like, I don't know why you wanted me to talk about this, but I feel like you did. And so then, then I run across these verses that just so beautifully tie in what we've been talking about. And so I just want to I just want to lay this prayer over our church family, over my own life. Just the words of the hymn, crush in us, God, our sinful desires. And create a new connection with God through a new nature in us. Jesus, do this for those who have trusted in you and renew that nature again for those of us who have already trusted in you. Lead us all to repentance and a renewal of trust. It's my prayer for myself, and it's my prayer for each of us this Christmas. And the last stanza reminds us that there is life that's set aside for those who will trust in Jesus. There may be times where the life that we've chosen is difficult. What did Jesus say, John sixteen thirty three? You will have trouble. There may be times where the life that we've chosen seems difficult, it's hard. But remember that there is life that no one else gets to experience, only those of us who have trusted 
And I want to say this, if you've never trusted in Jesus today, this God-man who died on the cross for your sins and now stands as a mediator between you and God, the Bible says you need to do two things. You need to repent of your sin. You need to turn from your sin. That's the only path you're on. You're on that path, headed down the wrong path. God says, turn to me. Stop headed down the dumb path. Stop doing your things your own way. Turn back to me. Let's repent. And then he says to believe. Believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. Believe that, that, that he rose from the dead on the third day. The Bible says that you can be saved. We're going to sing a song of response here in a second. I'm going to stand down front in my dumb Christmas sweater. I can still lead you to Christ in a dumb Christmas sweater. If you've never trusted in Jesus, I'd love to talk with you about that down front. But if you have trusted in Jesus, let the idea of Christ as human and divine fall fresh on your ears. If you're like me, I've been a Christian for 27 years, y'all. I know these verses back and forth. I've read the Christmas story. And it becomes white noise. It becomes something that doesn't blow me away anymore. And I pray that this Christmas, that I would be reminded, and that we would be reminded, that we would be driven to wonder and joy in God's grace. I'm going to say a prayer. After I say amen, we'll all stand together and we'll sing. If you need to talk with somebody about salvation, I'll be down front. The altar is always open for you to come and to pray for yourself or for other people. And pray right where you are as well. God hears our prayers wherever we are. But we're going to sing this song. We're actually going to sing Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And uh, I pray that uh, God uses this opportunity to, to cement in our hearts and minds the, the God-man, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I, I, we love you, God, and we do thank you. Um, God, that there are things in your word that, God, just leave us with questions. Uh, got question marks. Um, but, God, I'm so thankful that the things that I have questions about, God, are things that involve who you are. And God, when I can't understand my wife sometimes, and she can't understand me, and we're trying to do this thing together, God, how in the world can I fully understand who you are? God, help me to find peace and rest in the questions that I still have about your word and about your nature. And God, let us this Christmas celebrate that Jesus was not only a God who came to earth as a God, but he was, a, he was God who came to earth as a human. And God, I pray that the idea of the virgin birth and this, this hypostatic union, God, would just blow our minds this Christmas and that we would be reminded how much you love us and be driven to wonder and joy. We love you, Father, and we thank you for Jesus. In his name I pray, amen. Guys, let's stand. Let's sing this together.